Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 561 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Uh, Joe and Todd here. Todd, uh, I had to explain that to my wife the other day. What, the Lamborghini? Yes, we were out on the road and we saw a Lamborghini. Ooh. And then I had to tell her the story of the desk lamp. Uh, that was uh, said to me as a correction. I knew it was some sort of office gimmick. I didn't know what, uh, I couldn't remember what office gimmick it was. And then I was reminded that it was a desk lamp. And she thought that was ridiculous, and rightfully so. And then I explained to her that's why we had to rebrand ourselves, you know, Lamborghini Comic Book Podcast, Lamborghini Podcast Networks. I tweeted at Lamborghini, and I took their silence as their approval for us to call ourselves that. So I'm glad you did the full report, not she just a half. F- yeah. Right, not just a half, you know, you know, hearted one. You were, like, full on. You are like, the tweet happened, and... You know, I like that. You know, it was only like a like a ninety second pitch. You know, it's one of those things. Right. Like, if elevators were still a thing, I don't even know if they are. Right, right. Um, but uh, I'm glad she was on board for it all. So yeah, she thought it was funny. Good, good. Not that she listens to this show or cares or any of those things, but you know, sometimes something happens and I got to explain it. You know. Right. I like the way your wife pretends to care occasionally. Right, occasionally. Mm-hmm. She's got enough problems the way it is. Mm, she's married to you. Yes, she does. And number A1 with a bullet, yes. <laughs> so let's get into uh, the show this week. Uh, so follow-ups from the last couple weeks here as we discussed Nick Spencer leaving Amazing Spider-Man, the speculation that we had there. And uh, maybe we're the inspiration for where the Amazing Spider-Man book is going after this. Could uh, be. We're, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, also, we had talked about some of the Donny Cates books, uh, Venom and Thor specifically being late. Maybe we have an answer as to why those books have been late. And uh, since this past week was the 30th anniversary of a certain book, uh, we've got a supercharged return <laughs> of the Rob Watch. Boy, howdy. Uh, comic book convention in your area maybe this weekend. Uh, the digital sales that are currently going on. Uh, what we read last week, which is Infinite Frontier number one and Heroes Return number one. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week Todd's Art Attack. Todd and Joe have issues talking about Jonah Hex and the Spider-Clone Saga, uh, as well as discussion of the most recent episodes of Legends of Tomorrow and the Disney Plus show Low-Key. And I have extensive notes on both. Mm. Uh, Let's get into it with the Amazing Spider-Man stuff. Sure. So we speculated uh, that they should just get a whole bunch of, like, I don't want to say no-name writers, because that's doing them a disservice, you know? How about up-and-coming names? Up-and-coming names, there you go. But, uh, so that's kind of sort of what they did, but not really. Um, You know, there's some recognizable names in there. Uh, Kelly Thompson, Patrick Gleason, 
uh, Zeb Wells on a couple new names that I've never seen before. Cody Ziglar, no relation to uh, <laughs> Dolph or Briley, uh, right. who's done like stuff for cartoons like uh, Rick and Morty and Craig of the Creek and stuff like that. And then uh, Saladin Ahmed, who unfortunately I am unfamiliar with, um, but uh, has done like, uh, you know, he's got like Eisner's under his belt. So it's it's an interesting mix. Um, I know some folks were saying like, oh, boy, with this sort of crew uh, and them going uh, three times a month. And I'm like, well, uh, Spider-Man has been three times a month for the better part of the last like six years, Mm -hmm. sometimes more, depending on how the crossovers work. And this is, you know, this feels as though very much Brand New Day-ish. Because that's what they did with Brand New Day. They had, like, four different creative teams who were just kind of cranking stuff out. And then, you know, eventually it was like, okay, well, these four different creative teams are doing what they're doing. But, like, Mark Waid is a story that he needs to tell for, like, three months. So he'll do that. And then everyone else kind of, like, work forward. So, one, the book ends up not being late, but also so that we get more folks and more voices and more whatevers. Uh, So it's very interesting that that's kind of what they're going back to, which is kind of sort of what we speculated they were going to do last week. Right, right. So we're ahead of the curve, Joe. I like that. Well, I don't want to say that we're ahead of the curve, but we're definitely like thinking like the Marvel think tank probably was in regards to this. Right. But in other aspects, we're really ahead of the curve, so... Yeah, um, so some of the stuff that has come out with the teases of what we're going to see come Nick Spencer coming off the book, uh, it certainly looks as though or feels as though uh, there's going to be the return of Ben Riley, the spider clone. See, and I don't know if that's possible because I don't know how this how Ben ends you know, on the spider clone saga, if he's alive or dead, if he's degenerated into a pile of goop. I don't know, but now I'm afraid to read this new Spider-Man stuff because I have a, I have a feeling they'll give a recap of his life in the beginning of the issues and uh, ruin the Spider-Clone saga for me. Because, I mean, but how could you ruin that for me, though, Joe? Mm. So we'll have to see. Uh, but, yeah, in the uh, press release on it, it says uh, Ben Riley is back and with Ant-Man Uncle Ben's lessons. Uh, in the back of his mind as well, he's he's here to step in where Peter failed. Can he accomplish things the original Spider-Man never could? Ooh. Which sounds very much like what the original pitch for the Spider-Clone saga back in 1996 was. Well, I hope this one goes on forever, too. Well, it's just, it, again, it's, it's a very... Um, it's a very interesting thing to go back to. Um, I don't want to say that it was us talking about the spider clone saga, but we are coming up on, I guess like a 25th anniversary of it. Right. Everything old is new again, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what ground gets retread and how long this, uh, spider experiment works for, you know? Right. I hope it becomes really popular. And then the editors tell him, like, people like this, let's keep it going. That seems to be a good formula for this kind of stuff. What's Tom DeFalco doing? Mm, good work somewhere. 
Remember, was it like a year or two ago, maybe, where Tom DeFalco was on like the convention rounds? Right. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh boy, I'd love to talk to Tom DeFalco about the Spider Clone Saga, you know? Now you'll have to get in line for that, Joe. Right. This is going to make the Spider Clone Saga. And that's the other thing is so if this does become a rousing success and everyone does regain a new interest in the Spider Clone Saga, we've already got like. By the time this comes out, we'll have like eight to nine months of spider clone discussion already in the can for people to go and find. And like, sadly, like that Life of Riley site mm-hmm. and then us will be the top searches for the spider clone <laughs> saga. Fantastic. If we could top Life of Riley, but I don't think that'll happen. No. But we should really sit down and discuss how to push the us to, talking about the clone saga joke. Yeah, maybe we'll discuss it on After Dark this week. Or maybe we already did something similar. Right, we're like the time agency. We're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, So another story from a week or so ago where we had discussed some of the Donny Cates books that were running a little bit behind. Uh, We were kind of questioning why, what it could have been, how it could have been. Well, apparently on his YouTube podcast... Is that on my list of pet peeves? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Ryan Stegman and Donnie Cates announced that they are going to be doing a new imprint called Kids Love Chains, uh, an homage to the lines from Crossover, and they are going to be doing their first creator-owned book called Vanished. Uh, no plot. A, Oops, sorry. Isn't that an homage from Venom? Uh, well, no, no, no. So, uh, uh, they say it in that Venom 200 that we read, uh, two weeks ago or whatever, Mm -hmm. but the kids love chains thing is definitely from like, there's a whole thing from the first issue of crossover. Okay. Where there's like this big, long quote in regards to comic books and the medium and everything else like that. And I forget who they attribute it to. And then right underneath that is a quote from Todd McFarlane, which just says, kids love chains. Right. And my, you know, I get it because if they had said that first in Venom 200, then Marvel would own it somehow. So Right. So here from crossover number one, uh, from Seduction of the Innocent by Frederick Wortham, the world of the comic book is the world of the strong, the ruthless, the bluffer, the shrewd deceiver, the torturer, and the thief. In comic books, life is worth nothing. There is no dignity of a human being. So they have that quote in the first issue of Crossover. And then right underneath it, Todd McFarlane, kids love chains. Well, you know what? They're both not wrong, Joe. Right. So um, I think they could have named uh, their imprint, the world of comic books is the world of the strong, so on and so forth, the Frederick Wortham quote. But that wouldn't fit on a masthead. So I think sticking with the clear conciseness of Todd McFarlane. Um, so, yeah, like them throwing it in Venom was the uh, tip of the cap to that. And, and the tip of the cap to Todd. And, uh, yeah, so, again, I don't know if this is going to be like their own separate publishing arm. Or if this is going to be like uh, something that like Image does. Where like Image has Skybound and Top Cow. And all these other things. But either way, I like Donny Cates and I like Ryan Stegman. So I'll definitely be checking this one out. Yep, I, I'll be the same way. I just hope it doesn't, you know, slow too much of 
the the Thor stuff down, like you said. But I think Marvel have a chat with Donnie, a la uh, Jason Aaron back in the day with Wolverine and Punisher, and be like, you know, see, you know, we'll see what makes more kind of a deal. Yeah. So um, hopefully, you know, but hopefully you can get it all out as as you know. Yeah, and, and this will get him to that four book limit. You know, the the infamous Jeff Johns four book limit back at the height of his powers, if you will. You know. Yep. That is like that's as much as you can do while you're not running a company, <laughs> right? And now he does barely one book, right? But he writes TV shows and puts that's off true. other books. <laughs> Ask not for whom the Rob trolls, the Rob trolls for thee. And now, the Rob Watch. So I'll tell you, uh, you know, obviously with those guys, Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman, giving that tribute uh, to Todd McFarlane, naming their imprint after a quote of his, uh, conspicuous by his absence, not getting an imprint named after something he said is the Rob. But the Rob has enough going on himself, of course, uh, nothing through his own extreme studios. But just this past week on the 25th of June, was the 30th anniversary of X-Force number one. Um, and alongside that, the Rob announced that he is going to be doing uh, an X-Force miniseries at Marvel come this November. Um, written and drawn by the Rob. And I say uh, miniseries. Um, I don't know. It might be just a one shot. I hope it has all the anchors, Joe. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, it's something called Kill Shot, of course. <laughs> um, you know, and we get some of the variant covers there. And uh, it's a team of Cable and Shatterstar and Major X and a venomized Deadpool. So, you know, it's it's got to be good, right? Oh, it definitely has to be good. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it coming out unless somebody... Spoils it with a variant cover, Joe. Well, you know, Marvel runs a tighter ship than Archie Comics, so we shall see there. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, of course, with the Rob making this big announcement on the 30th anniversary of his crowning achievement, um, that brought many, many other folks out of the woodwork, sadly, to attempt to rain on the Rob's parade this past weekend. Uh, creators from Jamal Igle to Dan Slott and many more in between, uh, trying to kind of take the wind out of the sails of that 5 million copies sold. Uh, many people coming in, it's like, yeah, you know, they were sold at the distributor level, but I'm sure there's a lot of retailers that got boxes full of those still sitting right. that they can't move. Unless they have the Deadpool card. Unless they have the Deadpool card and the Rob was uh, supercharging that. So the two takeaways that I get from this, right? Mm-hmm. And outside of posting a picture of the check, and I can only imagine it just because Rob doesn't have it physically in his in his presence to get, right? Mm-hmm. He said, based on royalties, my royalty check for this issue was based on selling five million copies. If and, anybody do- does have a copy, it's him. But go ahead, right? And like, I don't know. Uh, like, you can't argue with that logic, right? hmm But then, in the discussion of this, there were people coming to the Rob's defense, mostly the Rob fans, 
Uh, but more notably, uh, coming to the Rob's defense, was Dan Jurgens, uh, who, you know, wrote uh, another very large selling comic book. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion of, like, how sometimes second prints don't get included in that. Newsstand editions don't get included in that number. So the number is probably higher than $5 million. But both the Rob and Dan Jurgens were agreeing that Superman 75 sold 6 million copies, which last time I checked is more than 5 million. So I don't know, like the Rob likes to tell that like, sure it was 5 million copies, but he always said it's the second most selling comic book of all time, but it's really like the third. Right. But by that math, Joe, uh, if death of Superman gets bumped up to 6 million, then 5 million gets bumped up to 12 million. You know what I mean? But, But does it? Well, by that logic, by the by the transitive properties, probably all the new standard sec. Well, you know what was X Force ever second printed? Yes, they did a gold variant that was not polybagged. Okay, um, but uh, that's the way I look at it. But then I guess X Men One blows them all out of the water. So right, and obviously they're not going to be. And you know we've talked before here. Uh, on the podcast from me listening to Rob Servations, you know, several months ago, <laughs> where the Rob and Todd attempted to conspire to do their X-Force Spider-Man crossover the same month that Jim Lee's X-Men number one was coming out. Definitely not in a reason to try to take what possible sales X-Men number one could have away from it but just you know because like hey it'd be a cool thing if we did it right mm-hmm. and editorial was like no way guys like you can do yep. it the month before the month after but you ain't doing it the same month as yep um and i just i just think like the one thing i will say is like i i take my shots at the rob yeah but i will never take away that because if i have to say oh well a lot of those X-Force ones are sitting unsold in comic shops or, you know, they were never this. The same thing goes for those X-Men ones. You know what I mean? Uh, that was a, a highly speculative book. Um, the same thing with, uh, now granted, I would say this, the Death of Superman probably sold people. that Those were sold to actual people. Um, and, you know, re, the reprints and everything. But I got no problem, like, with... Telton Rob, the Rob is the second highest sales, but I was, we were even discussing this at the shop the other day with, uh, well, me with some people like, we don't even get into like, just because we're America, we're number one. We don't even get into like uh, Japan's manga or like comics down in Brazil that have sold like 11 zillion copies and stuff like that, but they're not in English. So they don't matter, Joe. So it, it, and again, it's, it's terrible to say that they don't matter, but sadly they don't. Um, because, you know, we're looking, we're in America and I'm sure in those countries, they don't care how many copies X-Force number one sold or how many copies Superman 75 sold, you know, they care about their stuff. Right. But but their stuff all outsells ours. So why would they care? Right. And that's, and so that's the thing. If this is, if this is Rob's thing, his crowning achievement, his pinnacle in life happened 30 years ago, who are we to take it away from him? Right. I agree. Um, But, you know, and that just supercharged the Rob for this past weekend. And, you know, he was having one on social media, as he does from time to time. The first time ever. 
<laughs> um, you know, and as my uh, affinity for the Rob kind of waxes and wanes with the phases of the moon, um, it does look as though that Snake Eyes finale is scheduled to come out in the next, like, in July, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Because they, I think they also solicited the trade as well. And they're not going to solicit the trade if the series isn't done. Well, you never know. Uh, so that may put me on a hiatus of checking out the Rob's work for a while. Because this, uh, this X-Force 30th anniversary thing doesn't, uh, doesn't seem like it's in my, uh, my wheelhouse, if you will. Oh, no. I'm sad to hear that. You and him were so tight. Mm-hmm. I did get the uh, the 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 fist emoji from one time, you know, and oh. that's that's my that's my badge of honor when it comes to did the you Rob. Only get one fist emoji. I think I got three. Okay, because that's his standard. If you only got one, did you even get a, a Rob fist emoji? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's really all that's doing with the. Uh, the news this week, of course, there are conventions this weekend. Uh, I would say the one that uh, pops up the most here would be Northeast Comic Con in Boxborough, Massachusetts. Uh, they got an interesting array of media guests and comic book type folks uh, that are going to be there. Uh, Jim Shooter is going to be there. Paul Pelletier uh, is going to be there. Uh, I think I saw Jim Steranko is going to be there. Uh, you know, wear, wear your tallest shoes, I say, when meeting Jim Steranko. Mm-hmm. And have your prettiest smile when you get your picture taken <laughs> with him. Uh, but on the media guest side, uh, I see Billy West is going to be there. Ooh. Yes. The Amazing Kreskin is going to be there. Mm, no Legendary Wid. No, the legendary Wid sadly not on this circuit. I wonder how he's doing. I hope he's doing well. And there's a bunch of other voice actor people here, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, a woman here, uh, Allison Picard, and Allison is spelled very strangely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she does a bunch of uh, you know your newer cartoons, right? Right. And one of the like, and when you do these conventions, they'll put your picture of you as the voice actor, and then they'll put a bunch of the voice things that you're most famous for around you, okay? Mm-hmm. One of the cartoons that she does voices on is a anime called Yokai Watch, okay? And she does, like, the American translation, and there was a period of time where my kid was into Yokai Watch, Okay. Mm-hmm. And we're watching the English translations, and there's several episodes where I'm like, something's wrong here. Something's missing. Like, there's an entire scene that's missing, or this is not being translated, because like what we're seeing here is kind of close to what they're saying, but not like 100% close. Mm-hmm. So then I'm looking up Japanese versions with the American subtitles to see what was going on. And for what essentially was a kid's cartoon was like had a bunch of very dark stuff going on in it. Mm-hmm. And they were very much cleaning it up for like the Fox Kids Network or wherever it aired. Where I'm going with this is she voices a bunch of the characters on the American uh, adaptation of this. 
And one of the characters that she does the voice for is a man whose face is a butt and his hair is a poop. Ooh. Your, was it your kid's favorite character at the time? It was my kid's favorite character. <laughs> I know your son well, Joe. Yeah, but he's like two years out of the yokai watch, but that stuff kind of stuck with me, you know? Right, but does butt face poop hair ever leave you, Joe? No. <laughs> right. No. Uh, but the link to that will be in the show notes, of course, along with uh, links to the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-namednetwork.com. Soon to be named network.tumblr.com, where all the shows in the network, whenever they go live, you can find them there outside of their individual pages, feeds, and so forth. Whether it be this show, whether it be Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, or Porch Talk, or anytime any of these folks. Um, show up on other shows those will appear there uh as you're listening to this my appearance on pod van dam will be escaping so that'll be <laughs> over at uh soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com todd i know you don't listen to podcasts but on the most recent uh episode of wings on wings i had planted the seed for them to do um after wings on wings like they were like oh nachos on night court or chips and dip right uh you know the the eric estrada tv show from the 70s and 80s right i was more of a larry wilcox guy but anyway okay you and liz lemon um you both had his poster on your wall (laughs) growing up but i had made the suggestion that they do mash potatoes oh i would be on that episode well no it would be the whole series where they would watch and review every episode of MASH mm-hmm. and eat potatoes prepared a different way every episode. Oh. And I, uh, Doug, Doug was intrigued. Doug's the one I got to convince because he's the MASH guy. Okay. Well, I thought he was more of a squash guy. Uh, moving on. <laughs> uh, you could also check out uh, Kevin Hellion's page, Masked Library, where he does a lot of reviews of collected comics rare and interesting finds that he gets at bookstores, swap meets, yard sales, and so forth. Uh, Rick Williams, the chop shop with his cool resin and three or uh, glow in the dark uh, sci-fi fantasy wrestling sort of stuff that he does. Uh, Chris Runt and Jason Sandberg respectively have their comics, Battle Monsters and Jupiter available on Comixology. And our good friend Becky does a lot of original art where she's been posting a lot of her process uh, on Twitter. You can find those finished projects over on her Instagram. All this stuff is linked in the show notes as well, as well as a link to our comic book shop, Comics on the Green. I will say arguably the best comic book shop Uh, In the world, find out for yourself. If you don't have a comic book shop near you or you have a comic book shop near you and they stink, give (laughs) our comic book shop a try. They do a very brisk, a very thorough mail order subscription business. Uh, But if you're within the greater northeastern Pennsylvania area, I say even across state lines in New York or New Jersey, it's worth the drive to come in and get your books directly from the source at Comics on the Green. Right. I believe it even says right on their cards, their business cards, comics on the green. We don't stink. Oh, okay. Right. It's a, it's one of their, you know, finest, you know, uh, that the, their advertising 
key. That's, you know. <laughs> yeah, I had a meltdown there, but I'm good uh, now. Uh, also, in the show notes will be links to the digital sales that are going on. Uh, you're maybe not a print person. Maybe you don't want to subscribe to Marvel or DC or even Comixology's, uh, you know, unlimited services. You want to piecemeal your collection. That's perfectly all right. Stuff goes on sale from time to time. Uh, DC having their Pride Month sale, getting ready to wrap up. A lot of the sales are ending here at the end of the month. A lot of the new stuff is going to come for next week. Uh, that Boom Creator Spotlight on the James Tinian uh, stuff. Dynamite has uh, horror stuff on sale. Image has their original graphic novels on sale. We can get all those Ed Brubaker uh, criminal uh, original graphic novels and stuff like that. Uh, IDW and Oni also having their pride sales still going on. IDW having Usagi Ujimbo stuff on sale. Uh, Dark Horse having something called Night Terrors. I guess that's like horror books. Uh, Cullen Bunn's Horror County is included in there, and that's a really, really good horror uh, book. But Marvel is also having sales on Spider-Woman stuff and Jason Aaron-related stuff. And hey, you know who's a good comic book writer? Jason Aaron. I'll second that. Uh, You can get all the stuff that he's done. Uh, You know, his Thor stuff has kind of bounced around quite a bit. Uh, But everything, and by bounced around, I mean like, where it was called like God of Thunder and then it moved to just Thor and then it moved to Mighty Thor and stuff. And then there was like the one little bit that was called Unworthy Thor. Uh, right. But if if you're a, a wise enough person, you can kind of sort of figure it out. And I think you can get Jason Aaron's entire run on Thor for like 40 bucks. What was the, the giant crossover that ended it pretty much? War of the Realms? Yes. Is that part of the sale too or? Is that part of the sale? That is a very that, good question. Because that was a big part of Thor as far as I was going. Because we always talked about uh, War of the Realms was like Blackest Night. It weaved in and out of the main book. Thor and War of the Realms kind of like uh, Blackest Night and Green Lantern did. Uh, so that's separate. Uh, that's a separate uh, two collections that you would need to get. So let's tack another 11 bucks onto that to get the War of the Realms stuff as well. There you go. But, you know, he wrote the Star Wars comic when Marvel relaunched Star Wars all that time ago. Uh, so he good. did, Yeah, he did that really good Thanos uh, miniseries. That is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, we joked before about his Wolverine stuff when he was writing that and the Punisher Max book that kept getting later and later <laughs> and later. And he had like, an, like a, a letter in the thing that essentially said like, yeah, I was told it's like, do the book that makes us more money first, and then you can finish up Punisher whenever you get to it, you know? What was that miniseries with Archon the Barbarian? Weird World. Oh, that was so good, too. Not to be confused with Alex Worldwide Keller or uh, Evan Weirdbody Adams. That's completely different. Of course it is. <laughs> I would say... Under normal circumstance, that would be a wrestling uh, reference, but I think both have retired from the squared circle. So mm. now, now, they're just, now they're just civilian friends. Oh, that's right. Until they get drafted again. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think that's going to happen. All right. So let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin? Um, I'd like to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which was Infinite Frontier, written by Joshua Williams and art by uh, 
I do not know how to say that last name. Uh, Zermancio. Okay, look at you. You're pretty good. Um, I didn't know yet. He didn't have a first name. But anyway, um, this basically starts out with a Flashpoint Batman, which is Bruce Wayne's father, being sent to uh, President Superman's Earth and meeting his parents. And we not quite sure why that happens. But then we uh, basically the most of the story then is told on our Earth where we're getting bits and pieces of like little bits of stories, which I believe are all going to weave out into various storylines like uh, golden age, green lantern and obsidian discussing their lives as they're going to see Jade. And then that kind of cuts off. And then we get a bit with uh, Mr. Bones and I can't think of her name. Her name was chase, but she was part of the DEO. Oh um, yeah. That- yeah. Uh, not chase Meridian. Right. Right, I can't remember what her name was though. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Like she had like that eleven issue miniseries, like maybe like in the early two thousands or something. That was really good. Yep, where they're like he's trying to put a group back together, like an espionage group, and she's like, "I'm retired," so he's working her. Um, then we get that uh, uh, President Superman's parents have called this group, which is to get Flashpoint Batman, and they're called Justice in- Incarnate which has various characters from different various earths, like a female, an aqua woman, a captain carrot, which I do not like that version of Mary Marvel from earth five and machine head who I've never seen from earth eight. Um, and he's like, well, um, I need the flash. Uh, that's why I'm here. And then they cut to the flash and he's, he's been since infinite frontier zero mapping all the earths that are out there now with the multiverse. And he finds one, called uh earth omega which is like a like just a crime scene and all the big cosmic characters are dead there and he's like oh i have to figure out what's going on but he gets attacked by an interesting character i won't reveal who that is but uh they do have a past history so i'm uh interested in where that goes and then we get roy thomas who's supposed to be Dead or Roy Harper. I'm sorry. Roy Thomas is the writer for DC. I was going to say, wait a minute. Roy Thomas. Yep. Uh, Roy Harper is here and he's supposed to be dead uh, since we last saw from uh, Identity. Not Identity Christ. I can't think of what it was. But he ends up being hunted because he's not supposed to be here by this group. Um, And he ends up revealing that he has a certain new, I'll call it a power that I don't want to give away where it's an interesting take. Cause we haven't seen this in a few years that I can remember. But like I said, this is just all set up for where DC's going from here on out, even though it's a limited series, I feel like we're going to get multiple stories like this. I really don't even know how close they're going to weave into each in and out of each other for this mini series, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, okay. So you mentioned a bunch of things and like I said, I've kind of, gotten away from any of these sort of like big DC world building events and Mm -hmm. even like the Marvel ones, unless it's a writer that I really, really liked like the Jason Aaron one. And we'll get into with heroes return here momentarily. Um, I I tend to stay away from this. Now you'd mentioned that you did not like the depiction of captain carrot in this. And I think I saw that two page splash floating around online uh, all week. Is it just cause he's over muscular? What's the problem? He looks nothing like, like, yes, like he's supposed to be cartoony. Um, and he's not in this. He's, and he seems to be, I don't know, diff, like just the way he acts. Um, 
Captain Carrot, like in in the line, like he doesn't say much. Um, he just says like, "Good morning, sleepyhead. Can I offer you some delicious carrot juice?" And that seems very, I don't know, like even in the the wackiness that they did with Captain Carrot, it's like right off the rip, you don't have to be all you know carrot related dialogue or uh, rabbit related dialogue, if that makes any sense. I don't okay. Know. It just, I've read a lot of the character. It doesn't even in like three, four, five word balloons doesn't feel like the Captain Carrot to me. Okay, and then obviously we're getting a bunch of stuff built up for some of the stuff that DC is going to be doing over the summer and into the fall. Did any of the stuff that was presented here really grab you of stuff like, oh, I can't wait for this to come out? Like the Mr. Bones and Chase stuff sounds interesting, but I always like the DEO stuff in uh, DC, and I feel they don't do it enough. Um, I'm a big espionage guy in the DC universe. Um, and I'm, and I'm waiting to see how it's going to turn out because that Leviathan thing is working in checkmate where Leviathan shut down all the espionage groups. So, and like took all over their, their tech and their, their like pinched a bunch of their people. So I don't know, maybe this is going to fill in that gap once Leviathan is taken down maybe. So I'm interested in that. I'm definitely interested in the Roy Harper thing. But one of the things that I did forget to mention that on now, because of everything that happened, is the DC proper, like the the regular everyday people, know that there's a multiverse, and they have to wrap their heads around that. And I like the fact that it's like, okay, like, what if I'm dating, like, you know, I'm dating the love of my life on Earth 27, but, you know, I can't have her here, like, that kind of sucks. And that's just a basic, like, the way, like, people think, but I like that idea that, and then there's the multiverse denier. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. And it was all a hoax. And I'm like, you know what? I don't like, and I know this is going to sound like, a lot of times I don't like politics in my comics because it's usually not done well. But I can take multiverse deniers because it's fun and just lighthearted. And I don't know. I want to see where that goes. Uh, so we'll see. Okay. And the JSA stuff, Justice Society stuff, how we feeling of what it was presented in here? There's not much, but I'm more jacked about that just from the Stargirl stuff that we read. Okay. So, like, that's just, like, icing on the cake for more JSA stuff. But it looked really nice, especially, like, seeing Alan in that classic, uh, that Golden Age GL costume. I pop for that every time I see it. So, looking forward to more. So... Uh, my book I was most looking forward to coming out this week was Heroes Return, the finale to the big crossover deal, uh, by Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis. Um, so the first issue of Heroes Reborn, and then here, this final issue, Heroes Return, these are the two issues that were fully done by Ed McGinnis. The other books, he just did, like, the second feature in all the other issues. Right. Um, so I enjoyed this but it just felt kind of light mm-hmm. overall when all was said and done. Um, so this issue is we get the big fight between the Avengers and the Squadron Supreme. We get the revelation that with his iteration of the Cosmic Cube, Mephisto had been posing as Agent Coulson, who was now the president of these United States and kind of running everything behind the scenes. And we get everyone kind of paired off in their own little battles. Um, 
throughout the course of the book. The best stuff, I think, is Black Panther and the Wizard, or mm-hmm. whatever he's called uh, in the Squadron Supreme. I think it's the Wizard. Right. Um, but the two things that happen in this, um, and I guess spoiler-ish, if you will, is obviously our Avengers fix the world and everything comes back to the way that it's supposed to be. But this Squadron Supreme who lived in this different universe are now in our universe. So are there two Squadron Supremes or this one's overtaken that Squadron Supreme? They don't make that clear. Oh, okay, that's cool. They don't make that clear. It's just everything's kind of back to normal. The Avengers are back at Avenger Tower or whatever moon base they're on these days, right? Mm-hmm. I think they're in like, oh no, that's right. They live in like a hollowed out um, uh, celestial or something, right? Yep. So they come back. It's setting up like a new-ish team, you know? Um, couple new, two new three people on the team, I think. But then we get to see like where the Squadron Supreme is all over the place and them remembering the world that Mephisto created for them to live in and them trying to find it here on our earth. Right. Um, And there is no mention yet of what's going on with the Squadron Supreme who exists here in Earth 616, I guess. But does Squadron Supreme even exist in Earth 616 and like whatever the new current edition of Marvel continuity is? I thought they did. I thought they, they were around during that whole Jason Aaron run of the Avengers. Yeah, but see, that's so I I don't know. I don't remember that because I kind of, yeah. Right. I jumped off, but I remember Squadron Supreme being Colston's group during the early run of Aaron's uh, Avengers that I was reading. And they had to kind of put up with, you know, the Avengers like stopping them because they were government, you know, sanctioned and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'd, I'd have to see again. And and I don't feel that this is that much of a spoiler, but so it kind of like leaves things open ended. It's like, okay, now what this uh, world displaced squadron supreme trying to fit into our world, where's that going to go? And I'm sure it'll continue in the pages of Avengers, but when is it going to continue in the pages of Avengers? Because I know they have like a big She Hulk thing coming up here next. But I mentioned the Earth 616 universe. The end of the book is Mephisto getting together the Mephistos of all 616 Marvel universes. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, for what he calls the Council of Red. So Which, it's, it's positioning Mephisto as a bigger threat, of course, in the Marvel universe. Um, so that was interesting. But I don't know. I think me having given up on the Jason Aaron Avengers book, I think if you were reading the Avengers book, that this probably would have meant more to you. Right. And I do like the nod to the Council of Reeds. You just took away one E. Yes. So that is a cool little like joke. But uh, yeah, um, I jumped off Avengers a long time ago. So uh, I don't I don't have really much interest. In I always found Jason Aaron's like, I love him as a writer, but I found his Avengers flat. So yeah, there was, I, I can't quite put my finger on what it was, but it just felt as though it didn't have, like, a real direction. And I like Jason Aaron, but some guys are just not cut out for team books, you know? I just felt that it was, uh, the book was very generic. It was like, here's my, 
you know, jumping from storyline to storyline, like juggling the characters, but nothing ever popped with the stories that the characters were doing. I just felt like this is like, Hey, this is my most corporate book that I've ever done. You know, like just given, giving them what they want. Superheroes fighting bad guys. I don't know if that's the best way to explain it. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So that's what we read last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, we put up the poll post every Tuesday around noon Eastern time which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them sent to your home, whether you get them digitally, however digital books work these days, be forewarned, be (laughs) forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am currently in the lead uh, with one correct guess over Todd, and I'm going to just go with my gut here and say... The book you are most looking forward to coming out this week is Department of Truth number 10. It is not. It is crossover number seven because it is the Chip Zdarsky issue. And I want to see if there's a reason that he's doing it or just Donnie Cates doesn't have time to write books right now. (laughs) Uh, Could be both. Right, right, right. Um, I'm looking over your list is the book you're looking forward to most? Because we talked about him earlier in the show, Mighty Crusaders, The Shield, number one. No, it's actually crossover number seven. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to go with Department of Truth number 10 because it was about Bigfoots. Oh, see, I didn't read the solicitations. Can I change my answer so you win one this week? No, I don't want to do that. Uh, No movement on the board, but hey, you know, um, crossover's been really good. Uh, I've neglected to see, and I forgot to do the screen share for us talking this week. I'm sorry. You're fine. I mean, I roll with everything unless I'm talking about advertising. Um, but of all of Donnie Cates's book crossover is the one that's the least late. If that makes any sense, it's only two months late. Curious ghost writers. Well, again, he gets the ghost written issue here. Uh, but Venom and Thor, I guess he can't just have like Chip Zdarsky fill in for him there. Oh my goodness. Here, Chip, file your name off this comic and write it for me. Yeah. Uh, things don't work that way at the Marvel bullpen like they used to, you know? Nope, nope. You can't get Wally Lumbago to write your book. <laughs> Where they just have a drawer full of Spider-Mans that they can plug in whenever Roger Stern is running late, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So while you're uh, over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the smash hit sensation Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we are looking at the mid-2000s book of Jonah Hex by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray with hosts of artists. Or the possibly much maligned, maybe so love that it's getting to come back at Marvel Spider Clone Saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's uh, let's start with Jonah Hex. Right. I do have notes. Okay. Uh, some notes is issue thirty-four, uh, written by the aforementioned Justin uh, Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti. Now I want to mention the artist on this. Uh, Mark Sparacho, mm-hmm. not a fan. 
Um, his stuff felt a little too stiff for me. Okay. I get this. I get the style he's going for. It just felt stiff. Okay. Um, so this issue, uh, is kind of a sequel to that issue from a couple of weeks ago that we talked about where, uh, the guy comes to Jonah to have Jonah kill an entire town for him. Mm-hmm. Because they hung uh, this guy's partner, which, you know, this is the 1800s. That was very much frowned upon then. And Jonah refused to take the job because, in Jonah's opinion, be killing innocent women and children. And this guy goes and takes it upon himself to do what he attempted to hire Jonah to do. So Jonah ends up not only, like, taking this guy in for the bounty... But, like, really roughing him up in a very graphic and kind of, like, in my opinion, un-Jonah way. hmm So this issue is Jonah kind of on the run from that. Yep. Uh, he's to- kind of left town. Uh, he buried all of his uh, Confederate garb in a hole somewhere. And uh, he's just going to build himself a cabin kind of away from everyone. Um, you know, kind of be left to his own thoughts. But of course, uh, it seems as though no matter what Jonah does, trouble always seems to find him. Mm-hmm. And trouble in then trouble in this instance would be specifically Elmsford and Blackie and the rest of their gang that come to town while Jonah is there to pick up supplies. And uh, Jonah is essentially like, I don't want any part of this. You know, he he does his best to kind of ignore what's going on and turn a blind eye to these things while this whole gang of ruffians make all sorts of allusions to the shopkeeps and the shopkeeps daughters and so forth um causing trouble uh in the local saloons and stuff and the young lady goes out to jonah uh and she kind of makes a play for him um you know because she's attracted to his mysteriousness but also Kind of out of the other side of her mouth saying, like, oh, these guys are causing trouble and you seem like a guy who can kind of handle trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, Jonah says no. And it's too late because by the time that uh, Jonah, the next time that Jonah goes into town, uh, her father, the shopkeep, has been killed by said gang. Uh, she, unfortunately, has to turn to a life of uh, turn and tricks, we'll say. Ill repute, yes. Ill repute, yes, yes. And, uh, of course, Jonah's still out a ways from the town folk, chopping as much wood as he possibly can to keep his mind off things. She makes one more play for for Jonah to come and assist. And Jonah essentially says, I was trying to be good. I was Mm -hmm. trying to leave the life behind me. And I'm going to ask you when we're done here, of course, um about you know jonah and trying to leave the life behind him right Mm -hmm. so he kind of sends her back into town but now uh you know jonah has a crisis of faith in regards to this and by the time that he makes the decision to go into town uh the young lady the daughter has also uh had her life taken by uh elmsford and his gang of hooligans and jonah just takes them all out in one rapid six-fire blast, takes them all out, burns the house that he built, and he's Jonah Hex again. He had mm-hmm. he had 16 pages in this issue where it looked like his life was turning around. Yep, yep. 
So, like I said, outside of the art being a little stiff, I really liked this. Um, this is the first time, at least in this run, where we got a story where Jonah was attempting to leave it all behind. Yep. Give up, giving up the life of a bounty hunter. Um, you know, just living off the land, living, not getting involved with people. But like I said, Jonah has like an aura, a pull. If this was any other type of book, there'd be some sort of story where like Jonah was cursed. <laughs> or he had a mystical power that even he didn't know about. Right. Uh, that somehow trouble just found him, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I like this. This is one of my favorite stories because this is basically just a watered down Unforgiven about sure. a bad man who tries to make good and then gets dragged back into the life. Um, I actually kind of like the art. I, uh, but, but I'm more of a, a realistic kind of art when it comes to my Westerns and stuff like that. So it works with me. It reminds me of like a Greg LaRoque, uh, like on Star Wars and Aliens, like that kind of stuff. More like almost like he's using actual people as uh, models for their faces and stuff like that. But, you know, not my, fav- my favorite art. But I, I really like this this story and I like some of the lines that he has about like you coming up here with your wiles and your blueberry pie and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just, just a, a fun book and just gets to murder a bunch of people at the end, but they did wrong. So nobody's gonna, you know, they were criminals. He got them, but you had questions. No, I just, are we going to get, um, is this, uh, one of the only times I guess in your time that you could recall, of course, we're still about halfway through this run, I'd say, a little bit more maybe. Uh, do we get another issue where Jonah tries to leave it all behind and uh, the the life just pulls him back in? I don't think so. Um, it's because a lot of stuff is kind of kind of bl- like blurry because it's been so long I read it. Like I forgot that this was a direct sequel to the 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 hanging one that you were saying, yeah, um, which kind of works for me because like you said, he was vicious in that. But they even kind of mentioned this. He kind of feels like even though he didn't do anything, the town like being all the people being killed was kind of his fault because he didn't step in at all. So that's kind of like maybe why he was really vengeful on the kid. But he had tried to settle down. I'm not sure this must take place because he mentions it. Like when he tried to settle down with Mei Ling and have the kid that we met a few issues back, um, this, the same thing happened. Like, but that time, which if you're reading it is different than this time, like he settled down with Mei Ling as Jonah Hex and people kept coming looking for him either for revenge or because he was the fastest gun or lots of stuff where this one, he moves to this town. He's like, all right, I can't hide my face. But my name is Hillwig. I'm not saying I'm Jonah Hex because that's just going to bring out a, a load of trouble. So I kind of like that, like me reading the past Jonah Hex issues. That all makes sense that you you don't get anything from that. You know what I mean? Right. And obviously us having to read these issues weekly back to back to back to back to back. A lot of this stuff is a little bit more fresh in my head and our heads, of course. Um, I think something like this, a book like this could probably do with that, uh, you know, as previously mentioned in issue X, Y, Z, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think but they also... Again, I can't fault them for that. You know, the way the story is told, um, you know, it's not imperative that you had read that issue, but if right. you read that issue, that's like a bonus. See, what, what they were trying to go with the book, though, is 
one and dones with the exception of the two part, like the Tallulah black origin. And there's a six parter coming up. They were trying to get whatever artist and, you know, do one shot and do a story where like, at least I'll admit this, this book was real easy to jump onto any, any month of the you know year. It's sure. just like, here's the story. And I think that helped the book in that this was a book that should never have lasted 70 issues. Because of what, like, it is in a superhero market, is what I'm trying to say. It was good, so yeah, it should last. But you know, everybody wants their capes and cowls, you know. Well, I'll, we'll get into it. But um, you say 70 issues, of course. Um, how much time is there between the last issue of this and the first issue of All Star Western, or does it go right into it? No, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a while. I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, it's it's a bit. I could look it up while we're talking, but no, I was just, well, I was just, why well, you, I can look it up because you got to read it. You got to talk about a spider clone saga, starting with uh, Jackal Files number one. Yes, which is starts out with um, uh, the Jackal, strangely enough, in this book, um, with Freak Face, I believe. Um, he's programming him, doing stuff, changing him so he can do his bidding kind of, he has a job for him that they mentioned in the last issue that we read. And in it, he's basically like, you go to sleep and I will program you and change you. But along the way, I'm going to tell you about all the people uh, that, that are in my life and what you should do about them. So each one is kind of like almost a jackals version of who's who. So like they start out with like the Scarlet Spider and obviously he had, he adds his jackalness to each of them. It's like, Oh, like if you see him, like, cause we, in this, we find out he's like Ben Riley was thought to be, you know, the clone, but I really put the whammy, you know, on the stuff and spun it. So he thought he was the clone, all that stuff. But in the end, he's like, if you see him, he might be kind of touchy about it. So uh, be ready to beat him up when I tell you. And then Spider-Man, he mentions it. Well, he thought he was the real one. Now he thinks the clone. So he ends it. Well, he might be kind of touchy about it. So better beat him up when I tell you to. Um, and we go down the line of them all. Um, and I want you to know, do you know, um, wh- what do you think the amount of times the Jackal mentioned in his files or the story? Clone, cloned, cloning, or any word that had clone in it? Well, being that we're coming up on maximum clonage next, I would say at least 50. No, it was only 19. Wow, undershot it. Lazy writing, I'd say. Right, Uh, definitely. Like the Mary Jane one was, he's like, okay, you're going to love this. Um, and he's talking about a drop dead gorgeous redhead and but uh who's with Spider-Man and he boy Oprah could run a week of shows called Mary Jane. I married a clone, I'm carrying a spider clone's love child. Yes, Oprah, I can feel the baby kick and kick and kick. I'm like, oh my god, this is just like over and over, just like redundant with his insanity. But I will say it's informative for me. I learned about a couple of characters that I didn't have a lot of knowledge on. Um, but the most in-depth one was probably Scryer, Joe, mm-hmm. where he just says enigmatic. 
and he probably has been enig- enigmatic for untold centuries, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we the I, I found it interesting that the write-up on Judas Traveler and his cronies, that Scryer is the only one who gets his own separate little write-up, and he's not pictured with Judas Traveler in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and again, it says, immortal, omnipotent, omniscient, manipulative, arrogant demigod who seeks to fully comprehend man's capacity for evil by analyzing the actions of certain individuals. I won't mention any names, but his initials are Spider-Man and the uh, aid of his entourage, etc., etc., etc. I don't know why Traveler singled out Spider-Man to focus his attentions on, but I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I just mentioned... Even in the Jackal's files, and this is what he's programming Freakface with, uh, he doesn't even know what the deal with Judas Traveler is yet. Right. So, like, we get all these. um, The one thing that I did notice, which I found interesting, was that there was a lot of trademark symbols throughout this. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, Spandex was one. And Coca-Cola, I think, was another. And there was a third one, which was a cleaning agent. I couldn't remember. But Bounty Towels didn't get one, which kind of shocked me. So Interesting. I was like, I wonder if, you know, they didn't have a, a working thing with that. So in the end, um, he ends with the last one. He's like, and the last person is you. You, Peter, are my greatest genetic achievement, a clone of the original Peter Parker. And you pass all his memories and, crit- and you possess all his memories and incredible abilities and this and that and he's like and i've tweaked it giving you the ability to control your physical makeup on a molecular level level you can alter your mass density shape and state all by a force of will and i'm saying this i'm having trouble reading it not because i'm illiterate but because whatever editor did the font and the background for these things should be shot because they're very hard to read yes um, but in the end, he's like, you're Peter, Par- you're Peter Parker, the ultimate spider clone. I have plans for you. You're my dead man switch. And in the end, he's like, you'll be batting cleanup. And it's not your it's your distinct pleasure to kill everyone. You'll commit mass spider side. Hey, that's kind of wacky, but I like it. Yeah, you're spider side, Joe. So I told like- I told you, Todd, that his new name was going to be a humdinger. Yep. So I'm out to lunch this week with the guy's house that you want to rob for art. Oh, okay. And he's like, oh, you're doing the spider clone saga. He's like, I love the spider clone saga. And I'm like, yeah, go back and read it. You know? (laughs) 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 And he's like, no, no. He's like, I'm too like nostalgic. I I read it. He's like, he's talking about like, you know, I loved, he's like, I loved where, you know, Ben was like, why does Peter have so much trouble with this venom guy? You know, I'm just going to go out and whoop his butt. And he's like, I had to have a page from that. And he showed it during an art attack. And he's, he's like going on and on. And I'm like, he's like, and I'm like, yeah. And, you know, and I'm like, and I was talking, I'm like, you know how many clones there are of Peter? And I'm like, this guy, this guy, this guy, you know, little jackal, mini jackal. And then, you know, freak face. And he's like, oh, you mean I'm like, da, da, da. Don't ruin it, Joe. I'll kill you. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't, I'm like, I don't know his new name. So he almost stooged off his new name to me. Oh, but I stopped him and he's like, I'm just going to eat my pizza. I won't tell you. Um, but he, I don't think he hated spider side. I'll have to ask him when I see him as much as you did. So yeah, I, I just found that amusing. And I'm like, I was, I was like a day away from reading it. And, and he's trying to give me the, the Iggy on what his name is, you know? 
So. Right. And just real quick before you move on to uh, the Lost Years issue one, mm-hmm. uh, it appears as though Jonah Hex 70 rolls right into uh, all new Western number one because it looks like the published date on uh, Jonah Hex number 70 was August 2011. Oh, wow. And then All Star Western is September 2011. Wow. So if that had kept running, I think because you could like even though like they changed the title, it's the same creative team, and there's no gap in between the two books. If we did like, legacy numbering, we would have got to a hundred. Yeah, absolutely. Though I will say this, I think the change in tone and st- and and like making it entrenched in the DC universe by being in Gotham and everything, I think it needed the switch in the name. But um, and I wouldn't have liked it if that if they were tacked on past seventy. If that makes any sense, I like the fact that they're two separate books. Just that for my that being said, uh, if I go to a convention and Jimmy Palmiotti is there, I might bring my run of All Star Western with me and have him just write Jonah Hex seventy one through whatever on each of the covers. Right. Well, what are you going to do when you get to the zero issue? Uh, well, in uh, number order, it would be whatever, right? Gotcha. I think that would still be zero. He would just have to write Jonah Hex on it. Fair enough, fair enough. So, uh, would you like me to discuss now Spider-Man The Lost Years? Yes. Written by J.M. DeMattis, art by John Romita Jr. Um, This era of John Romita Jr. was never my bag, so uh, I'm not really going to discuss that. But it's uh, Ben Riley. Uh, traveling, you know, across America, whatever, on his motorcycle from job to job, a la, you know, David Banner, the Hulk. Um, And he ends up, you know, seeing someone who's in need and he saves them because, you know, even though he knows he's a clone, wink, wink, he he can't stop himself. Ben, you know, even though he's like, I was never really Uncle Ben's raised by him, um, I can't get it out of my head. Well, that's going on. Raggedy Kane with his long hair and beard, is drinking in a bar and what's the uh he runs into uh i can't think of her name but uh detective what about me what about raven's uh partner partner the female who apparently was the one that was killed and uh she's doing stuff with like undercover for uh the mob stuff uh Ben's getting a job, thank to Somehow he knows, still knows Dr. Trainer. Like, that was never explained. Maybe it is explained down the line. And he's using his credentials to, like, be like, yeah, this guy under an assumed name is really good. And then he'll work in that town doing science that he enjoys. But eventually he'll get found out. And then, you know, like, they play, they all play dumb. Like, Trainer's like, oh, I was taken in, too. Uh, don't worry about it. But I'm sure that's going to work against, you know, his cred when Ben does that 17 times. Um, Ben is eating in a diner and sees a redhead that uh, he likes. And, you know, he basically asks her out and she says, yes. Um, While uh, detective Raven's partners undercover, uh, she basically like, was like, you you did the crime. You're under arrest. Um, But a bunch of the thugs get a drop on her and Kane comes in and cleans house. um, And the, I'm not really 100% sure um, on like their relationship. It was before or after, like if this just started here or whatever, but also something I want to say is uh, 
what's his, uh, I can't think. Uh, Kane says that he's like, I'm following Ben, who didn't know he was a clone at the time. So he, like, Riley saying that, uh, or not Riley, Kane saying that, I'm not sure who's narrating it when this book takes place. It's very confusing on a lot of stuff. So uh, the partner and Kane end up sleeping together. Peter once again uh, goes into action because the mob goes after Detective Raven's family because they know he's in league and they blow up his house. Ben saves the wife and the kid, but the wife's in a coma. And it looks like, um, what do I want to say? Uh, that they, the way they've been establishing the story is that Detective Raven's wife dies definitely at some point, but I'm not sure whatever happens to the kid. And Ben's like, okay, I got to look into this. There's a lot of people who could do it, but I don't know why I'm going to do it because while all this is going on, Detective, what about me? What about Raven has also been kidnapped and has a gun to his head by the bad guys, if you will. That's a quick synopsis because there's not a whole lot going on in this. But like I said, I found it a bit confusing because we're jumping back in time, but we're jumping back in time in the middle of this story. So, um, yeah, so it's okay. Okay, so the reason this comes out in the way that it does is is because it's published right around the same time of where we are in the story, okay? Right. Um, so the narration bits are odd because we have three narrators through the course of the book, Detective Raven, Kane, and Ben Riley. okay? For the sake of argument, he's Ben Riley, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and Detective Ravens are current in the story that we're seeing, okay? Uh, Ben Riley's are, um, current in the time that we're seeing because we know that he's away for five years, but in this, in this, he mentions several times that he's been away for three years. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are current. The way that Kane's narration works though, it's unclear if it's current because everyone else's is current or if Kane's are him reminiscing on this time because he has information. He knows he says in this, that he knows that Ben is the real Peter Parker, not the clone. Right, which I'm not sure, because I always thought he was chasing Ben because he thought he was the uh, aberration, if you will. You know what I mean? Right. So that's where we get into things from there, of course. But it it kind of throws everything else into disarray because did Kane know? And even if Kane knew then, Okay, if we're taking that this story is two years before Ben and Kane come into Peter's life, mm-hmm. did Kane know then that Ben was the real one and not the clone? Because the previous 34 weeks of books that we've read, Kane never lets that on, that that's the case. Right, but like, and doesn't he kind of lean into the fact that He's like, you're the real one, Peter, and you've like, you've, and he's the, doesn't he even say, you know what I mean? Unless, yes. I don't know, I'm confused so at this point. I feel there's bits of this that are attempting to retcon this information mm-hmm. uh, with this miniseries. And another issue that I have with this miniseries, as we're going to get into, um, and I know you're not a John Romita Jr. fan. I don't love John Romita's, uh, John Romita Jr.'s stuff in this. 
uh, all the mouths are real weird in this issue. Like everyone, yeah. like when they're smiling, have these giant ear to ear grins that just look very out of place. Right. Right. And it always looks like their teeth are kind of hiding. Yeah. So uh, John Romita Jr. doing this miniseries is coming off of doing a retelling of Daredevil's origin with Frank Miller mm-hmm. at Marvel which was essentially them attempting to Batman year one up Daredevil's origin. Right. So I feel as though with John Romita Jr. on this, coming off what was a Batman year one pastiche on Daredevil, I feel as though he's trying to do the same thing here. Okay. With the mob stuff and the cop stuff. And I feel as though they're trying to James Gordon up uh, Detective Raven. Okay. And it doesn't feel right, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is crucial because this miniseries gives us um, the truth behind what really happened with Detective Raven's partner, which we're going to get to in the next two issues, and more of this information. But I forgot that it casts, like, this weird shadow now of did Kane know then that Ben was a human and not a clone or is this them retrofitting that information into the story here? Because when the reveal happens, as we, the reader, are reading it, Kane's not there. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason, there's no way that he would know, you know? I get what you're saying. Okay, that makes sense. The only, like, what? technically, the only people that would know um, are obviously we know, like, the Jackal knows for whatever reason. Um, but trainer knows mary jane knows ben knows and peter knows that's it peter the wife beater right oh boy i'm not letting that go but here's here's my question on that then so maybe i mean i don't know how this all plays out but that did get me thinking because i was like if you know he was never there for the real reveal on who's the clone and who's not but if he was thinking that you know obviously that they were the way they were ben's the the, the the real maybe he was jealous of ben he hated ben because he was the real one and he felt that uh peter thinking he's the clone like you're the one that persevered you beat uh uh clone uh de- degeneration all that stuff so i respect you i wish i was you i wish i was the clone who didn't who wasn't dying and have the real life, which would make sense. But in this, I don't think they're thinking that smartly, if that makes any sense. I just yeah. think this has gone off the rails and editors are just like, just write whatever you want. Like, just keep it going. Keep the gravy train going. I think we're putting more thought into this than they did at the time. Right. Well, we're doing a year-long sp- segment on it. So we yes. are thinking. Uh So next week, we have issues two and three of... Spider-Man The Lost Years, and what, Jonah Hex 35 it would be? Right. And I don't have my list in front of me. Is that the end of this miniseries? Was it a yeah. three-part? Okay, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know if it was like a five or a six or whatever, so. No, just three issues. It was a different time back then. They weren't writing for the trade just yet. Right, but I do like the fact that uh, at least we nobody would be able to ID Kane as Ben because he was hiding his face, Joe, with lots of hair. And a beard. Oh, Right, so looking forward to those two uh, next issues of, you know, The Life of Riley, The Lost Years. 
Uh, so, Todd, did we have any uh, art attacks this week? We did have art attacks this week. From Rebecca's art, she sent in some body references. Um, and I always like that, that when you see the bare bones of like what you do before you draw a figure like, Hey, here's the circle with the line down to where you're going to put the nose and then the cross. So you have an idea of, so the eyes will be, you know, level and straight compared to the nose. And it's always why I could never draw because I went straight into drawing the body instead of drawing like round knees and elbows and shoulders and stuff like that. Uh, and why I'll never be an artist, but I like the, the bare bones, nuts and bolts of how you start, an art project. Exactly. Took the words right out of my mouth. When I look at this, I'm so impressed by someone whose mind works this way to start a drawing this way where I'm just a dope. It's like, here's a circle. Here's two more circles for the eyes. Here's a half a triangle with the, for the nose. And then here's like some lines for the teeth and I'm done, you know? And I will say this, like, you know, not trying to blow smoke kind of a deal. Rebecca like really has down in there's, Four distinct, like, you know, poses. Um, there's the run. There's the sexy hand on the hip with the, with, the, with the other wrist, you know, tilted out. I like that. But between the person sitting up top in the middle and walking finger guns definitely has anatomy down to how, like, a body works in those, in those like, it, with what they're doing, if that makes any sense. So I really like that, too. Yes. Uh, again, does good work. I'm glad to see that. I, I love seeing the process on stuff like this and whether or not those little sketches, uh, evolve into something more, uh, you know, sometimes it's a muscle that you got to work on to make sure that, uh, you could do it when the time comes. Mm -hmm. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that we have. Uh, you can check out our store uh, where we have shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, you can head over to T Public, uh, our T Public store, which is located at tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes, where you can get uh, more things inspired by this show, inspired by After Dark, inspired by Adults with Wrestling, inspired by Final Wrestling Place, and you can get them on even more than shirts, cell phone covers, tablets, and everything else that your heart could imagine. Uh, there's no sale going on this week, but uh, when I know of a sale, I'll let you know so you can go there and get them. Uh, sign up for our Patreon. Uh, I don't know. We're going to try to figure out a way to push the Patreon more, kind of build up those subscribers, mm -hmm. patrons. You know, I really can't stress enough that buck a month, you get those two extra shows from Todd and I. And uh, if you are a new patron, uh, you know, you sign up for a buck a month, you got like this huge, giant backlog of like two years worth of stuff. Uh, yeah. to go listen to you know yep mel brooks a lot of different stuff there's a lot of entertainment for a buck a month there yeah yeah for sure uh but obviously i understand maybe it's a time issue that's a lot of times what i think of uh, i sent out a tweet the other day i do my podcast day my my podcast day thing and uh my friend pam was like this is the lowest amount of podcasts i've ever seen you put out and i'm like well uh you know monday's a big one and thursday's a big one and friday's a big one but I don't watch a ton of TVs, like podcasts are my TV. And, okay. you know, a lot of people, TV is their TV still, and they don't have a lot of time for podcasts. So I completely get it. Well, let me ask you a question, not to get off subject, but so you're doing like less podcasts, you're doing this and that, but to, for that little bit, 
What was your secret to getting through more piles, according to the pool post this week? Of uh, I had, work. I, I had uh, overtime on Saturday at Super Secret Science Job. And oh. we were super, and we were super slow, so uh, I got to read comic books on the clock. Oh, I thought, I thought you had a real plan, but okay. No, that's what it was. And I have uh, overtime this Saturday and next Saturday, so. Oh, you'll be all caught up. No, 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 no. Uh, but it'll, I'll be making a serious dent. Right. How many... How many comics do you have? Like, do you have like stacks or? Yes. Man, oh man, you got to work on that. You got to work I'm, on that. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. Um, but one more thing, of course, another way that you can help us out is making any and all of your purchases through the Amazon click through at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. Does not cost you anything extra. They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee uh, for us referring you to them. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through include uh, lots of those food items. So it sounds like the break room is being restocked. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stevie in the Raw, uh, Oreo Ritz crackers, Honey Made snack pack, variety, etc., etc. were all purchased. Uh, Somebody purchased a giant thing of Snuggle Plus fabric softener in bulk. Uh, the Glad round disposable paper plates uh, that when I say pa- those paper plates, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the blue flowers on them. You've all seen them a million times before. Uh, somebody purchased uh, six rolls of scotch tape. Uh, somebody also purchased a Wagner spray tech heat gun kit that gets up to a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. So please be careful with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody also purchased a Hawaii concert ukulele joe not the everyday average ukulele the concert version this is a show-off one right Mm -hmm. and somebody also purchased an item that i did not know existed and no no it's not the jake the snake roberts bed bug spray uh it's the mudslinger five-in-one outdoor footwork uh footwear cleaning tool brush Ooh. Uh, if you get a chance, look at that item. And I'm like, oh, that's an ingenious item. If Is you're, the- like, one of those people, you know, like, I just bang my boots off and get most of the mud off, and I track the rest of the house. Now, with this item, I'd be able to get all the mud off my boots. Is it a brush and then two side brushes? Uh, kind of? I've seen them a lot uh, because we had the quarry that my family stole back in the day. Um, sure. That... There were a lot of them on on the steps to the trucks to get into the trucks because you'd be in a, you know, getting loaded a construction yard and mud, whatever. So you didn't want to track it in your thing. So they would put these right on the steps to climb up. I'll have to look at it later. And I'm hoping that this 23-inch Hawaii concert ukulele, Joe, we see this over and over again because you have to smash your ukulele after you use it on stage, just like the Who. You know what I mean? So I'm figuring this is going to be something we see a lot. What did I recently see or hear a Tiny Tim cover of? <laughs> uh, speaking of ukulele people. Uh, but no, so it's not. I, I get the thing that you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's two sides. It is a, it's a cleat cleaner. It has spikes. It is a digger, a scraper, and bristles. Ooh. And I just like the fact that it's called the Mud Slinger. Like that's like that's a good name. 
that describes exactly what this product is, and it's not, like, super expensive. And, uh, yeah, this is, like, a thing that I could see myself getting for, like, the people in my life that have dirty boots. Oh, okay, so it's actually, like, more, I just looked it up, it's more like a hairbrush. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so you would rub the bottom of your your shoes. I get you. See, like I said, they make them that they're that they're stationary. They don't move, and you wouldn't have to bend down to get it. You just lean and put your I'm going to get you one of those. That's I, what you need. You could put it right on the banister and just walk up and be like scrape 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 scrape. I've got all that wrestling gunk off the bottom of my boots and I can go in the house without stinking up the joint. Now I see that there's a company called Jobsite that has like uh, the ones that you're talking about where they're kind of like automated almost. Mm-hmm. Then they look like the old school, like fl- like uh, shoe shine deals. Where it's okay. like the one red and the one blue. Mm-hmm. But they're set up to like knock the gunk off your boots. Right. The old boot gunker, you know? Yeah. So again, those are some of the notable purchases through the uh, Amazon click through this past week. Um... And again, I, I did uh, Todd's Art Attack out of order there, so I do apologize. That's on me. I think that's it. Uh, outside of TV talk, eh? Yeah, with this spoiler-filled talk at the end there. I'm yes. all confused. You've thrown me now that you've swapped the Amazon and the, the Art Attack. Oh, well, I'm listen. Sh- I'm shook, Joe. Shook, I tell you. It's It's been a confusing episode, Todd. I'll say mm-hmm. that much. We've all had our uh, moments, if you will. So if you uh, do not care or have not watched the uh, latest episodes of Low-Key or Legends of Tomorrow, we bid you adieu. Thanks for listening. Episode 561. And uh, we're going to get into uh, the episode of Loki that was on uh, just a week ago as we record this. Yes. So uh, remember over the last couple weeks, I said, uh, you said... Loki's not a good villain. Right. And I said Loki works the best when he gets to play off someone else. Right. Uh, I like this episode a lot because Loki got to play off someone else. Mm-hmm. When Sylvie. Loki, Sylvie, uh, which is the uh, uh, alias that the female Loki gives herself. Um, we get two really cool fight scenes in this. Uh, we get uh, information of how uh, Sylvie's enchantment works. And uh, they are attempting to escape uh, Lamentis One, which is the moon that the Earth crashes into in 2077. Uh, but I really like this episode a lot. Right. Uh, you know what? I actually had a lot of fun with this. I will say this. I'm glad that Sylvie finally lost her crappy cosplay horns um because they were really distracting me i didn't want to mention anything but she uses them as a weapon and then loses them so i'm happy about that but uh and she looks way better without the without the horns um but i i really enjoyed this episode all the way down to uh there's a couple of things that that jump out at me but i do love them getting to the arc um and having to run that's a great action scene directed really cool where all the uh, meteorites are coming down and they're smashing and they're running. And I know you're going to laugh. It's a very Doctor Who-esque scene. Like, but I do love the fact that uh, the, the Ark gets destroyed and they, you know, they don't have a way off the planet. And it's just, I, I, I really love when you get that gut-wrenching scene at the end of a, a show 
and they just cut to silence, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And he's just standing there crestfallen, and they go into the credits, and there's just nothing. I'm like, that's always a good way. Like, you can't overdo it. You can't do it five episodes out of six. But one, like, just, it always works for me. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, action sequence is good. Uh, the stuff that you talked about with it going silent, of course. And we get a lot of, like, plot stuff as well. With mm-hmm. the timekeepers, we get a uh, revelation that everyone who works for the TVA um, are um, variants. Uh, variants, variants, but they're told that they're not variants. They're told that mm-hmm. they were created just to work there. Mm-hmm. So obviously that adds more to the time, uh, the TVA being up to no good, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, I thought this was a really good episode. Um, maybe it was also because of a lack of uh, Owen Wilson being in it as well. Right. Um, the only question I have for you is during the run that they're going, like to get to the arc, that the arc fall, a building falls over and then somebody uses magic to make it go back up. Something happens that I don't understand. Like what exactly, like who used their power to make the building go up. And I have a feeling that we're going to find, do you know the scene that I'm talking about before I go any further? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's very clear, it, at least to me, it was very clearly Loki. He didn't push the building back up, but he just kind of held it in place long enough for them to get through. Right, which seems like a weird, like, I, has he ever shown this power before? No. So I want to think that we're going to find out it's not him. That we're, like, as a viewer, we're meant... See, I overthink this stuff way too much. That we're meant to to think it's him, but I think somebody's trying somebody's trying to save them so they can do their mission like do you know what i'm trying to say like like it's somebody off camera is like oh i can't let them die i have to save them so they can do the thing that i want them to do that they think they're doing on their own but they're really doing for me if that makes any sense but and also i've had one more revelation that you know how they have like they're everybody's at these uh annihilation points like you know where the people get annihilated and then uh, you know, you, you can't change anything in these moments. I'm hoping that I'm being stupid again, that all these annihilations, Joe, are brought on by somebody whose name is very similar. <laughs> well, you know, you, uh, you, you got my hopes up uh, when we first started talking about this show that Kang was going to be in the show. Um, um Yes. Ahead, and sorry. now you're getting my hopes up that Annihilus might be in the show. So, Well, that's the thing. The Lamentus One, the planet that the moon is crashing on, is this whole story is taken. Well, that planet is taken from the prologue to Annihilation Conquest. That's the planet that's being destroyed, the mining colony. So I'm like, oh, I'm really pumped. And I was talking with... Uh, the artist today uh, who works for DC comics. And he's like, one of those three giant lizards is Kang. Right. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure one of them is Kang and he's behind all this or trying to take it down or something. I don't know. I'm hoping you get your Kang wish, Joe. I hope I get my Kang wish as well. (laughs) What if the timekeepers in this are like Kang Immortus and like that version of like Tony Stark that becomes Kang? Right. Um, or 
Or wasn't there like a third? Because wasn't Kang, Kang, Rama, Tut, and, and Immortus all three? That's what it was, Rama, Tut as well. So I'm hoping that it's Rama, Tut. And then there was rumors at one point that like Reed Richards' father was involved with Kang somehow, like with the times. So I'm all in for like three Kangs for your money. You know what I mean? More Kang for your buck, you'd say? That's what I would say. More Kang for your buck. Kang bucks. That's how I want to spend, Joe. But anyway. I really like this episode. Uh, Loki playing off someone whose fun works when he has to lead everything and be the focal point of it. Not as much. Right. But hey, we're halfway through. We only got three episodes left. Right. We're just We're breezing through. That's right. Uh, the other show we watched this week, Time Travelly <laughs> as well, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, we talked last week. We we're like, well, I wonder what's going to ha- You wondered what's going to happen with all these aliens, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, they're just going to go back to, like, hunting the aliens, right? Right. Um, so I'm going to get it out of the way and say I really like this episode, okay? I, I had a lot of fun with this episode. Right. Again, it's Western stuff, so it's right in your wheelhouse. But I have to get my two complaints out of the way regarding this. Uh, One, I understand why they're doing it. But uh, in this episode, uh, uh, Sarah reveals to Ava that she is now a uh, alien hybrid clone who can, like, regenerate and all this other stuff, right? Right, the Sarah clone saga, but anyway. Yes, and we get the bit where Spooner is picking up, like, alien vibes from Sarah, but they lie and say that it's from Gary, and I'm like, okay, well, that's why we have to do this, but, like, you guys are a team, you guys have been together for the most part for six seasons, Uh, you know, we're at the point in the TV show where, like, you're talking about, like, TV show tropes of happening around you, right? Mm-hmm. Like season finales. And I think in this episode, like Nate even says like uh, uh, that this is going to be a classic Legends romp. <laughs> yep. Yep. You that's know? a great line. So it's like they're really <laughs> hammering home the fact that they're kind of all self-aware and they're all friends. They're all family. They're legends. They're whatever it is. Like what would have been the big deal for Sarah to just tell everyone what's going on? But obviously I, she can't because there's some sort of plot point that's going to come up later on where they're like, well, why didn't you tell us? Well, I was afraid and blah, 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 which is like a classic trope. And I hope when it happens, someone points out the classic trope that it is. Right. I don't know if they're going to do that. I think she honestly just wanted one mission where everything was normal. And then she would say that she's an alien uh, hybrid clone who loves cherries. So Right. Who loves cherries. Yes. But then the other bit in this, of course, uh, you know, they, they get the reading that one of the aliens are in like an old Western sort of thing in uh, Fist City. Which and I think course, it's a real city. But anyway. And of course, they all go down to Fist City in the 1800s or whenever it was. And they all get up in their cowboy outfits. And I'm like, oh, baby, they're all wearing hats. You know what that means? <laughs> oh, Mick stays on the ship. Oh, I wanted to see the them try to figure out a hat to fit his giant head. Right. Well, you have to. You have to. What the, I found out why he wears tiny hats, Joe, is because nobody's replacing the cartridges in the fabricator, so it runs out of cloth, and he's always got these tiny hats. 
It's not just that it's a normal size hat and he's got a giant head. No, I'm going with with uh, fabricator cartridges uh, as my my head cannon, if you will, Joe. All right. Uh, so I'll uh, let, I wanted to get those out of the way. I'll let you handle the uh, the, the the heavy lifting on this one. Right. So basically, they go back because uh, there's something going on in the you know the old west, and they get there and they find you know the roughest, toughest town in the world, Fist City at the time, and they go in, but they find out that all the people are nice, Joe. All the people are nice. They're, they're all, there's all these rules about no spitting, no gambling, no, you know, whatever. So oh, wait, have... I have the rules written down. Hang on. Oh, okay. I loved, I loved the rules, so hang on. I did um, pause on the rules, too, but go ahead. No cussing, no fighting, no gambling, no fornicating, no alcohol consumption, no spitting. I guess Frank Talent wrote these rules. No cheating, no yelling, no gunplay. And no disrespecting others. Right. Those are good rules. And those are set up by the sheriff. Right. So they end up finding... And now there's also all these subplots that we'll get to. But basically they find out that uh, Bass Reeves, who was the first black marshal, which is a true story, um, is who's supposed to be the marshal, isn't the marshal. He's a wanted criminal. And also, I forget the name of the character, but he was actually a, a villain who is playing the part of the sheriff. And they figure out, this is where things have gone wrong, and we have to fix it. Um, so various things go on, and Astra finds wants gold. So she ends up breaking one of the rules, and we find out what the actual punishment is, is that there's a giant space worm that is controlled uh, in the town that feeds off anger and then eats the person that has the anger. La, 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 that's our story. And he's being controlled by the evil marshal, and that's what keeps the town under control. Um, while this is going on, Azari and uh, Bayrod are arguing because Bayrod's in, in, into bad girls, and Zari's trying to help him not be into bad girls. Um, basically, Spooner and Astra are you know, having their typical uh, Legends romp where two people who don't like each other have to team up because, you know, so they can get to better know each other and they're off looking for gold. And also Ava and uh, uh, Sarah are arguing because why didn't you tell me you were a clone? We found out about that throughout the episode and Gary and John are arguing because John wants the fountain of magic that's that aliens know about. So all that's going on in the end, they end up beating up the, the, the bad guy, the marshal, and he gets killed by the worm. But lo and behold, the town is terrible, and they take the thing that he was using to control the worm, and they end up putting all the legends in the saloon and figuring they'll fight and get mad being holed up there, and the worm will eat them. But, Joe, did we did I mention at any point that the worm also poops gold? Yes. Uh, I, when the worms first showed up, I, I was hoping that we would get more of a shift to the Tremors franchise, but alas, mm -hmm. I would say that's just enough of Tremors references for me. Yes, the worm poops gold. Which is fantastic. So Spooner and uh, Astra are off doing that, and they end up finding Bass Reeves, who's just Diggle, um, the actor. I think he maybe he directed an episode or whatever, but I'm starting to think there's something going on because the uh, the guy who played the evil marshal also played General Kilgore in the JFK episode. Okay. So I'm wondering if there's something going on with that character 
or the fact that we're just going to slap a lot of beard and makeup on people because of the fact we're under COVID and we're just going to reuse actors, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I don't know. But in the end, they end up, uh, uh, Steele ends up using his anger to draw out the uh, worm and they end up beating it. How do they end up beating it? I forget now off the top of my head. So uh, what ends up happening is Steel kind of overloads it on anger because that's when he lets out all the problems that he has with everyone, mm-hmm. that he has no one. He's the one who always has to reload uh, the <laughs> fabricator and how he's just kind of fed up with everyone. And while that draws the worm out. Um, Spooner uses her power. She's starting to control the yeah. power. Now. Yeah, and then yeah. don't they blow it up somehow? Uh, See, I can't remember. Yeah, I forget how they destroyed the worm, but I think you're right that they blew it up somehow. Right. And in the end, um, everything goes back to normal on the ship, according to the greatest part of the episode that I did not mention. And as you say, where they acknowledge that they're a TV show because the narrating cowboy tells how everything has gone back to like normal and they're going to do stuff. And in the end, they're like, Ava's like, I told you, you can't leave the the narrating cowboy on the ship. And Steele like, oh, you got to go. You know what life needs more of, Joe? Singing narrating cowboys. I want one for this show. I want one for our, like I said, our podcast, every other show. I At first, I thought the narrating singing cowboy was the alien. And then it turned out to be the gold pooping worm. Yeah, so uh, Spo- as you mentioned, Spooner uses her powers to kind of like distract it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Astra uses what little powers that she has to blow it up. Okay, that's what I thought. Astra yeah, yeah. looking good as a as a cowgirl, I'll tell you that. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she was wearing a wig at all. That was a good looking wig, if it was. No. So again, with everyone wearing hats, you know, we kind of get away from the uh, the wigs, but we did get a lot of facial hair appliances that were a, a bit suspect. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Diggle. Um, I'm wondering if Diggle, because he's directing, he like directed a Batgirl episode and he was on Batgirl, that they just used him as as uh, Reeves because he cleared COVID testing. And they're like, ah, just get in there and we'll put a mask on you. And then at the end, we'll reveal you look like Diggle. Somebody will say Diggle question mark or dig. And he's like, yeah, I do dig. And I was like, OK, we're just going to blow past this and I'm fine with it. So, I didn't even pick up on that. I'm not as deep as an arrow guy as you were. Well, I figured you might know Diggle from just the crossovers and stuff. He was the one that whenever we had the crossovers and Flash would move him, he would vomit. Right. So, but anyway, it was just cool to see him. But I thought they were going to do that time tested, especially Doctor Who trope where it's like, oh, well, you know, you know, I'm about to marry this person or whatever, like, and my Diggle is a relative or whatever, you know, they established that Diggle is his descendant or whatever, but they never did. So, mm-hmm. but more narrating singing cowboys. Yes. Uh, but both episodes were good this week. I was very happy about that. Right. A lot of, t- so- I'm glad you like a lot of time travel stuff, Joe. Yeah. Time travel shows are your forte now. All these, all these shows that have inspired uh, Doctor <laughs> Who to become a thing, you know? Right, like Time Lord Kang and the Wave Rider, TARDIS. Yeah. So. No, I don't know what that last one was. Gotcha. Um, but no Legends this week. I guess they're off for 4th of July. Ah, I, that makes sense. So just low-key this week or next week on the show or whatever. Right. 
But yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, yep. This was uh, episode uh, 561, Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying uh, see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.